Hi, Kim. Hi, Knut. Wow, a lot of stuff going on in the UN Global Compact Network Norway these days, huh? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, since the start uh, a year ago, we, I mean, basically every week there has been a, in a party of a lot of activities. But this week I actually had to make a, a list of activities in advance of the podcast to make sure that I get the, the, the highlights uh, for our discussions today. So uh, what are these highlights? At least I would, I mean, one of the things we have done the last weeks is um, the Norwegian political festival, uh, Arndal Suka, uh, a digital version, of course, this year. Uh, and we had, you know, in a total of all the digital events going on on the same time, there were 120 something events and we hosted around 30 of them. Uh, and it was fantastic, you know, just discussing all the different topics, but also getting it down to the concrete, actionable details not only this sort of overall uh, you know philosophical of, discussion exactly yeah so we, we had many of our member companies also participating giving speeches but also discussions with financial times with the politicians as well so we had a good mixture of the philosophical political discussions that i think our listeners actually do like and we also had some more tangible uh, discussions on details on how do we create the future of business and um, this week, we actually are one of the hosts of the National Conference of uh, Circular Economy here in Norway. Uh, that actually will be discussing four reports. Reports, guys, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, but it actually gives a way forward as Norway is just in the midst of um, you know, uh, planning for a national circular economy or a circular strategy. Um, so that is, um, yeah, absolutely a topic where we have big players involved. Yeah, so like most of the places in the world, we were also, of course, hit by COVID. So the week, the yearly political festival had to be cancelled. And we decided to get together with some other companies and organizations and do an event over four days. And it was quite a success, I would say. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback and we reached a lot of people. I mean, you are the producer not only of this podcast, but also, I guess, the, the brain behind our event. So I think I could brag a bit on your behalf. So to have 11,000 unique viewers on stream, actually, on throughout the four days, at least for us in UN Global Compact Norway, is was a big achievement. Um, and we're happy that, you know, that we get people to, to actually listen to all the work that has been done and those that are working with production events and uh, content know how much work that is. Yeah. So, um, but uh, because eleven thousand is a normal Chinese dinner party, but here in Norway <laughs> it's yes. almost half the population. So just a little yeah. exaggeration there. But I must say that it, in general we got a lot done. We got several meetings with ministers. We had several concrete proposals, debates, and I, I think it was a great, great team effort of UN Global Compact Norway. And uh, I'm looking forward to the, to the how can you say, the aftermath, which yeah, I think will be positive. Now, I think we should get down to this podcast and not bore the people listening with our self-bragging here. <laughs> uh, so I'm really looking forward to, I think we, we decided the topic to be infrastructure, is it? or Yeah, so we, had, we have some initiatives here at the UN Global Compact Norway, where we are looking to collaborate more on investment in developing countries, especially Africa. Uh, and yeah, that's true. we yeah. wanted to have uh, a conversation with two of the leading names on sustainable investment in infrastructure. And uh, we got a hold of them both and sat down in a 
video chat because of COVID, because we're keeping distances. But uh, I think we were very lucky with the people we got, and I think it became a very interesting conversation. Yeah, so I mean, we got one of the really like sort of thought leaders on on uh, on the climate discussion overall. I would say he's he's amazing in in social media. I mean, Svein Tveital is his name. I mean, he's not only a sort of a local hero in the Norwegian climate environment, but he's of course also you know a former uh, director in uh, in in um, or he's the director of Gridandal, which is the the local uh, Norwegian representation of um, uh, the, uh, UN environmental program. Uh, and he's also, you know, he, he's been in a lot of different kinds of green shift and sustainable initiatives. And currently he's he's a chair of both um, uh, the Klima uh, 2020 and also Purity IT. But he's also the, the, the chair of the Norwegian Rainforest Foundation. So... So, I mean, that and that's a big organization. That's a huge organization working in several countries to try to stop deforestation of the rainforest, especially in some countries. Yeah, I mean, of course, basically, I mean, the, they get a lot of funding from the Norwegian government. So there are the, obviously the countries with a lot of representation, a lot of rainforests. So everything from Brazil, uh, Colombia, but also Congo um in africa and but uh, i think it is also the combination with tarje osmundsen which is the other um the other speaker or guest today is 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 essential because he's very much a businessman that has you know in this case i mean the last thing he's been doing is to to be part of starting up empower new energy that is investing uh, in africa uh, in in uh, renewables but also infrastructure of course so um, to have the combination. And he uh, also has quite a background from business. I think he was the leader of a French telecoms company. Oh, he was that as well. Yeah, uh, that could be. Yeah, yeah. I um, think he was uh, working uh, in the leadership of Alcatel. He was also the one of the directors of the Norwegian uh, Association of Enterprise. So he has the business credential. And he decided a couple of years ago to go move away from what we could call traditional or old ways of doing it and moving into sustainable business development and investment. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely. He he also, he, I mean, he, I, I remember him as a politician as well. So, it, I mean, these two guys, they really have, have it everything, don't they? Both from from UNEP and, and also from, um, yeah, from different kinds of organizations and business. Yeah. So I, I, th for me, uh, this is a conversation where I really saw you get into the discussions. You started talking about concrete solutions. You d define the problems. So I think this, uh, this will be a great uh, podcast. Looking forward to hear it again. Yeah, so I think we can just take it away, can't we? Yeah, let's do that. Oh. <clears throat> Welcome to uh, to you both, Tadia and Svein. It's a pleasure having you here with us in uh, in this podcast, in the podcast Future of Business or Femtidsnagsliv, as we call it in uh, Norwegian. And um, the topic of today is is finance. Uh, and you both have, uh, as you all heard, uh, a big, a very thorough background on in the field of on finance in general, and also on uh, on the work on the green shift or sustainable shift towards the agenda 2030 and the new um, or the sustainability the sus sustainable development goals but i thought you know to warm you up a bit uh, i thought we could start with a sort of a 
you know, sort of an open question. So, uh, so how does it really go with the, uh, you know, with the green shift to financing? How important is finance to ensure the the, the green shift? Uh, I thought perhaps you could start, Heidi, and then Swain can fill in the. It's a very open question, but that gives us the opportunity to dig into more of the the work you have already done so far. Thank you very much, and, and uh, let, let me give you this thought that came to my mind when you asked that question. We are now following, seeing what's happening in the COVID-19 area, and you see all the money which is now being deployed to uh, develop uh, a vaccine for, uh, for that. How is that working? It works that governments and privates are setting up uh, funds that will actually then be channeled to the solution providers who can actually secure uh, results right so you actually receive that a lot of money available if you can if you have a real realistically good uh, plan for actually how you can reach those targets if we go to the uh, energy access field the fact that you have uh, 600 million people without electricity and you have businesses struggling with with uh, with power and you have a huge deficit of power how how do we do it there I mean, it's completely different. I mean, and the same thing goes for other sustainable development goals. Why don't we just define some very ambitious target and do as we were doing now in the vaccine field and see how we can then channel money into the solutions which are uh, can be speeded up uh, more, uh, more fast. That is that's a general observation. I think it's top, so it means that there is, it is possible to move quicker if we are able to use some of the same things we know it are, are doing in the health sector. So we are not taking the, the climate crisis as uh, serious as we should. That's basically what Heidi is saying. Uh, what you say, Swain, I mean, is, is, it, is that the problem or is it just that we don't get the politicians and uh, the business and all the actors uh, on board at the same time? I think the problem is, uh, the general problem is that the market is not working as uh, uh, efficiently as it should for the green shift. because. Uh, as we see now, renewable energy is getting cheaper and um, it will be competitive in the future. So if, the, if we didn't, were in a big hurry, then we could leave uh, the development to the market. But if we uh, unfortunately leave this directly to the market now, then we will see a global warming on 3.5 to 4 degrees. And uh, that is not a recipe on a climate uh, crisis. It's a recipe on, on a climate catastrophe. And one of the main uh, reasons for this is that the subsidizing of um, fossil uh, energy is four or five times higher than the uh, 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 subsidizing or, or support to renewable energy. If we if we tip if we just swap that around, uh, the thing would go very better, uh, much better. Uh, comparing with um, the situation or with Corona, it just shows that if we are willing, are motivated, the money is there. So, in theory, that is not a problem. But the big problem we have now, or the big challenge, is that there are so much money now used to, in a way, uh, solve the Corona crisis. And if that is not used in a kind of green context, then we will get back to business as usual. And we would have spent all these money without being one step closer to a sustainable future to reach climate goals and, and sustainable development goals. That's 
the big uh, problem now. And I think uh, changes happen during the crisis, maybe not afterwards. So I think politicians today are facing very, very big challenges. And it's very interesting to see what is happening now. An example from Guardian today is, for instance, that Jane Godal, this very famous uh, old lady that has been working with nature and and chimpanzees and so she's just saying that uh, if uh, humanity is finished if it fails to adapt after covid-19 so what happens just those days is extremely important for the future uh, i think uh, we're going to come back to covid-19 in in a bit but i i wanted to pick up one of the things you were saying uh, Sven, and that is so the, the challenge of swapping from subsidizing uh, fossil fuels to, to electricity and also the challenge on the market, because I, it's, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, I, I saw that the International Energy Agency says that uh, Africa only uses 1% of uh, the global solar energy potential. And on the other side, we know that the price of solar energy panels, etc., is going down. So... Uh, it should, in a way, now start to work, shouldn't it, the market? But but how is that, Tadio? You are in the middle of this. You know the, the solar energy really well, and you're now also, obviously, uh, investing in in that area. Could you perhaps give us a, a, um, some thoughts around how do we get to, you know, shift uh, the, the focus and at the same time kickstart the market? I think that is, um, that is one of the key questions and just to to uh, help to explain a little more how it works in the in the market space as we see it is that to actually to accelerate the clean energy in or like solar is like solar in africa or any developing countries what is needed is either that the government owned utilities or the utility company the energy companies owned by the states will invest or private sector must invest and sell the electricity to the users so the government-owned utilities are generally very weak financially, right? So they are they are stuck with big debt, and they are also stuck with the government decisions of subsidizing uh, fuel. So they are actually losing money. So many of the many of the entities in in developing countries that should be on the forefront of the of the building uh, renewable power, they do not have the financial resources to do so. So then is the private sector, and then you have private funds like ours is ready to invest into solar power directly for the industry but then you discover this is not legal this is regulated because uh, it is uh, no it is actually very difficult in some countries impossible and very difficult to do it because the regulations are against it so you cannot in many developing countries do as you will do for instance in in more advanced markets set up solar plants on the roofs of uh, companies and just sell electricity back to the com- to the company so what what we need is uh, a combination of uh, you know I think this clarifies that what you need is not only money but you need also a mobilization of of um, uh, partners to make it uh, possible to do what we do. If you take an example, is that business users in Africa spend pay about forty to fifty percent on average more for electricity than at world average. If they were to use solar power directly, they would actually save 30-40% on electricity cost. And this is moving forward, but it would be moving forward much more quickly 
if there were more money directly directed to this, and also the governments in the countries concerned were, were more uh, accommodating for these kind of investments. But banks are pulling out of Africa as well, right? So it, there are investors going in, but there are other investors saying it's too risky. Yeah, I think there is there is a general trend, unfortunately, that many of the many of the big Western banks are actually, uh, you know, for various reasons, are, are not willing to invest long term in developing these markets, and that uh, that is also an issue. But I would say that the main the main issue is, and, and then going back to um, to the, the parallel to COVID, if we were able to say, for example, that we were willing to pull, pull money into um, funds that would actually uh, issue tenders. So you could have big tenders where private and uh, government stakeholders could, could maybe respond to say, okay, we are how many millions of, of uh, people would get, uh, can we provide electricity access? How many CO2, uh, how much CO2 could be saved? And then you can have a kind of a competition from funders, from developers, in partnership with, with local stakeholders to actually come up with good proposals that would have make a difference. Right now, the money is there, but it's, there is no mechanism, there's very limited mechanism to channel the money to innovative new solutions. So that is, it. I'm not saying that nothing is happening, but it's going very slow. I mean, we, we are, the renewable capacities in, in developing countries are, especially Africa, is actually moving slower than population growth. So the energy mix is, is uh, continues to be very uh, fossil fuel dominated. Then I guess we are back at the, the discussion on subsidies, uh, Svein. Yes, we can. But um, what Taya said here is quite interesting. Uh, when you see the difference, for instance, between um, take China, India and Africa, because Africa as a whole now has less pop, uh, people than, uh, uh, than China and India. But China and India, they will stabilize around the 1.567 billion. There is today 1.3 billion in Africa, but already in 2014, they will be more than 2 billion. And according to the UN, by the end of the century, 3.8 billion. That is a tremendous challenge. So this development will uh, be um, different from the development that goes on in, in other places in the world. And um, these people, of course, need energy. You mentioned that today uh, only 1% renewable. So if these people should uh, have a decent life and a decent access to uh, energy, uh, then and if we then don't have this as renewable and green uh, energy, then we will, the, we will just uh, have no chance to achieving uh, uh, global climate goals. And of course, this also goes for nature, because uh, if you have 3.8 billion people in, uh, in Africa, you can imagine what, what will happen with the, uh, with the nature. And actually, in Africa today, Maybe the biggest source still is, uh, is uh, uh, bioenergy. They use uh, car, coal, uh, car coals and so forth. So, so there are so many, many, many big challenges. But uh, when we talk about subsidizing, that is one thing that needs to stop. And the politicians, they need to uh, take these decisions. If not, this will not work. The market can work. Um, 
I can remember, and uh, just mentioned that I have background from Northern. I was a board member there for many years. And, and we invested in renewable energy and quite a lot in Africa. And, uh, and our result was better than the Norwegian oil firm so, or, or, or pension firm. So if you look today uh, into where is the economy uh, developing fastest, you find four or five of those countries in, in Africa. So, and when, uh, even if they are on a low level, uh, when the economy is developing fast, there is tremendous opportunities for small and bigger businesses. Uh, so if you do it in the right way, but we talked about risks and it is uh, risky to uh, do business there. And again, here the politicians need to come up with guarantees and a, a solid policy. If they manage to do that, all this is possible through market mechanisms. Yeah, and you also have, both of you have uh, obviously experience from the African uh, context. And, and But what about, how is it going now with the, with the IROE, the return on investment area? Is it, is it good for you to, or for, for the company to invest in, in Africa as well? Because of course we have all heard about uh, the examples of, uh, of uh, Norfund uh, being a, um, a, a state fund, uh, but also uh, relying on a return on investment. But how is it for private actors in Africa just now? I mean, is it, is it worth it? I, I guess that is the question. And, and because there is, like you're saying, uh, a need for the, the, the politicians and the state to support it. But what happens then when you are in, a, in states where the, where the authorities are weak, when the state is weak, when it's a challenging uh, situation? Um, of course. Um, yes, of course. You, uh, it is a, there is higher risk in some... I mean, if you take sub-Saharan Africa, you can say that in general... The, the risk, the political, regulatory, the currency risk, commercial risks, you could say are higher in general than maybe, for instance, take North Africa or Egypt, where it's lower, or even, of course, uh, and it's even, of course, much lower than in Europe or Norway. And the reason for this is it's not something which is linked to the fact that it's Africa, but, of course, it's linked to the fact that these are still relatively new countries and still... Uh, they are still quite of recent experience with institutions, the rule of law, and it's moving in the right direction. So, I mean, the, 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 but there is a perception, uh, which says that the risk, is, the risk is high, but those very often the, the perceptive risk is higher than the real risks. And that is also under, under supported by what, what Sven says. Um, in our terms, what we have done is that we have told uh, our investors that we uh, will give them we will have a set we have set up a system with a very i would say elaborate risk management uh, approach uh, and uh, that has um, made comfort our investors they have been they've been willing to put money into our fund to finance uh, high impact renewable energy in sub-saharan africa and what they've said to them is that we will target to give them a return which is uh, you know comfortably below higher than 10 percent so it is Per year, so it should be a good return in addition to the high development impact. And uh, that is a message which I think, I mean, and, and the project we see, yes, we see that it is possible in Africa to make a, a good business because of the growth in a market, mainly. So when you have done one project, two projects, 
and you succeed, you will see there's enormous potential for growth. So I think that is the biggest difference between Europe and, and Africa, of course, is that in Europe, you can maybe make one project or two, which looks very good, but then maybe the market very easily gets saturated. Whereas in Africa, of course, the long-term potential is so much bigger. And of course, we have not talked about all the problems uh, with Africa, which is unfortunately often the, the way we talk about Africa. But of course, there is a lot of opportunities in Africa and also in other countries. And when I used to work in UNICEF, we, we used to say that it's the uh, develop, um, development countries that will develop the world in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, the mobile cash came from Safaricom in, in, in Kenya. Um, the simple solutions are as um, basic solutions, but not uh, and very needed in, uh, in the complex uh, thinking uh, uh, Western world in a way. I mean, why make it so complicated when the solutions are, are much easier and have a better effect? So, so one of the things I would like to, to discuss with you or, get, or hear from you is also both of you were saying that we need to get the, uh, the politicians and, and the business on board. And of course, Tadi, you represent uh, a concrete example with, uh, with empowering your energy. You're the, the, the investor, you obviously, you, you are an example of, of investment in Africa and, and opportunity. But what sort of other, uh, other sort of organizations or or companies do we need to see? Do we need to see the Norwegian oil fund investing in Norfund? Uh, what what sort of uh, mechanism can we you know see? And what sort of mechanisms are already there in other already in in Africa that we can take to uh, to Norway to learn from it? Uh, because we have a challenge with financing our own green shift in the Norwegian context, right? And uh, we see the government launching yet another strategy on hydrogen, on on different kinds of areas, but there's no long-term finance strategy included in the, in the in the plans. So there, it's supposed to go by from uh, annual budget to annual budget, but it's basically doing the same thing as before without not creating new way of financing it. So I think both the mechanism of how do you work private or public together and also how can we, you know, uh, I look to, to the UK to see the, they have um, the UK Green Finance Initiative, the national initiative. I mean, they, they have a long-term plan on how to finance several areas and sectors while in Norwegian context, completely different. So it's an interesting um, I would really like to hear from you what your, th your thoughts are on, on mechanism, both on s setting it up and uh, and also financing the new mechanisms we, we, we will need. I'm sure both Sven and I have, have views on this. And first of all, we are an investor, but also I know that Sven uh, also is a, in his modest capacity also an investor into renewables in Africa. So I think we both have a, have a passion and, and interest in that, in that area. Um, let me put it this way. There is no lack of money available for the moment. What is, but what the problem is that a lot of the so-called sustainable finance that has been set up, the funds and, and sustainable finance, very often what they do is that they decide what they are not going to invest into. Okay, so they 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 say that we'll not invest in coal, we're not going to on, but there are not much, uh, and then so then there are lots of funds who say, okay, we would like to invest into. Uh, renewable energy and other low carbon solutions. But the problem is, as I hinted on before, is that they are just waiting for 
good, they're waiting for good companies to come up with, with uh, proposals, uh, but they are not saying that, okay, we are willing to give a guarantee for uh, in, in entrepreneurs who are able to scale up this or this solution, or we are willing to take uh, more risk than the market to actually make sure that this, uh, uh, this uh, demonstration uh, plan can be, can be uh, uh, replicated uh, several places. So what you lack is, as you said, what you, what, you, what you lack in the energy field is what you have in the, in the corona virus, uh, vaccine field is innovative financing, which will be a result-based financing. I think that's the key word, result-based financing. If you're interested to say that, okay, we are willing to put a price on companies that come up with innovative solution for cutting CO2 or, as a, for instance, moving from a bio uh bio uh, mass to renew other renewables in Africa and you can have a, a good system for for uh, accounting for that and then you could have a payment system for this kind of solution and then you will accelerate so I think what you need is is some kind of of um, result based financing to scale it up um, and I think that is coming more and more into this so I, what I'm looking forward to is to see more sustainable funds sustainable finance firms who 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 actually are prepared to, to, to stick to make some targets, some, some goals, and put their money behind those, uh, those targets. That's right. Yeah. I, might, uh, I might add, add something to that. Um, uh, well, when I worked with Northern, for instance, I was in, they did big investments. No. Uh, and I used to work with UNEP in Nairobi before, and I have a small company down there where I tried to, to build up some. Uh, uh, very small businesses uh, uh, within the field of renewable energy, climate change, uh, environment, and so forth. It is um, uh, complicated, and um, but it 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 might work. So it's it's the question there is to do it in the right way. But what I do there is so 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 small that. Uh, but I, I lack some kind of uh, what should I say a policy that makes it uh, uh, more attractive, more easy for uh, a small small business development that what that, uh, than what I, I try to do. But the general picture is back to that. That is extremely uh, scary, uh, as a matter of fact, for Africa. And even if um, politicians in Africa, they, they understand this, they, they, they do that. But uh, they don't manage, in my view, to come up with a kind of sustainable policy that, that is working, you know? Uh, Tai mentioned that probably uh, solar might be the cheapest way to, to provide energy in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Africa. But uh, China is coming in. They are funding new coal plants and uh, other companies are, are getting in there. And if China, if Africa is going to develop in a, uh, sustainably, we need to have just uh, green growth. And I think in our countries, like Norway and so forth, I think we, we probably have to stop uh, with the economic growth. I, I think that goes beyond limits. But you cannot go to people in Africa and say that you are not going to develop. Because uh, I remember when I worked in UNEP, delegation after delegation came in and said to uh, us that, well, we will do like you did. We will, uh, we will uh, use our natural resources then we will be rich and then we will clean up afterwards. And, and it's not so easy to, 
<laughs> to arrest them in, in that point of view. Uh, on the other hand, they are the victims of uh, nature loss and, and, and climate change. So the policy is not strong enough and it needs to be strong very fast. Uh, and that needs to be a, a cooperation between African, politi uh, African politicians and politicians in, in Europe and other places. And then the, the business will do the work. It's not the government that will build a, a renewable society. It's the private business. But they need to set the rules so that it is safe and profitable for the uh, private sector to, to pour in uh, the money that is there now. And if they manage to do that, then it will work. And I think there's no other solution that they need to do this because if they continue to subsidize fossil energy and they are getting two billions two and a half billion and and they think they can uh, in a way uh, develop uh, based on uh, fossil energy then it will that's the end in a way so and we, we are so far now that this shift has to come extremely fast and i think private business is an excellent tool to do this shift, but it don't work without political support. And that is maybe a cooperation between African politicians that understand what we are talking about now and ODA and, and other business development in, in, in Africa. You know, the, the subsidizing, as we talked about, of fossil energy in Africa is more than climate finance and more than ODA that is poured in there every year. This has to stop, and this is just politics. It's not market, it's politics. You know, we had this, um, I certainly agree, and you know, we had this carbon credit uh, uh, before, and from the, some, some years ago, going back, the UN uh, CDM credits and so on, it was a hype, and then it all uh, fell down. Well, if you look at the situation now, so if the international community, and Norway could be a forerunner, said that, we, were, we are willing to, for a period of 10 years, to pay $20, $30 per ton of CO2 saved by uh, renewable energy companies. Then you could, for instance, Nigeria, you could replace millions of diesel generators. You could replace uh, coal-fired plants. That is the kind of, of result-based financing I'm referring to. And, and, and uh, you could say that, I'm not saying that it has to be as necessarily as complicated as CDM was. I think it can be done more uh, easily. But the thing is that if you really want to make a difference, you need to put uh, the money at, to those who are actually putting their uh, risk and willingness to, to deliver and then only pay them for what they deliver. Today, very much of the money that Norway and other countries are allocating to low to for instance sustainable energy is lost in consultants and bureaucracies and and, and things and it is not really going to the end users and, and, and leading to uh, so I think there is a need for thinking new new ways to to accelerate the, the deployment of clean energy so what you are saying is that we could basically if I mean if you're trying to put it into the the current uh, the region foreign policy, uh, sort of look look for something that's already there. We could take the the rainforest model, the the rainforest uh, project that Svein knows much better than me, um, and say that we do just like you, 
Norway has done with Brazil, for example, or Colombia, Indonesia, to say that we do a result-based um, pay, payout of money. So if you stop the, the um, you know, cutting down of the, the rainforest, uh, the deforestation, then we will pay out uh, ODA funding depending on that. So is that some, something like that you would propose? Exactly. You can say that if, if your solution can uh, replace diesel uh, or coal, uh, for instance, then you can, you can document that. Then we are willing to give you to pay for those uh, uh, savings per year or for a 10-year period. Uh, that is something which also is completely in line with the Paris Agreement, the part, Article 6, where they have kind of uh, moving from the so-called CDM to the uh, uh, SDM, the Sustainable uh, Development uh, Measurement, or what I call. So there is a there is a special new uh, uh, vehicle mentioned in the Paris Agreement that Norway could could uh, kind of pioneer, uh, and and it, it is not something that we necessarily should do to to uh, compensate for what we're not doing at home. I'm not saying that. We should continue to focus at home, but this is something we could do at the international level to really make a difference. Mm, that's an interesting. What, what do you think about that, Svein? I mean, and if you take the parallel to the rain, rainforest. Uh... Well, I think that is one model, but I think the, the overall perspective is that uh, in Norway, we call it pollute, the pace principle. In, in um, last year, the International Monetary Fund had a report, uh, we are going back to, to subsidizes, that if you include the damage from, um, from emissions, not only, not only the emission itself, but damage from emissions, then uh, not, not direct subsidized, but then the damage from emissions, they talk about something like $5.2 trillion or 6.5% of the global GNP uh, is this damage. And, um, they state that if people had to pay the full cost of this, then emissions would immediately go down with 28%. And deaths due to toxic air pollution would be 46% lower. And if you know, if you, if you compare with Corona now, they, they, they have now around 100,000 dead people in, in the US. But according again to this report, uh, Every year, between uh, so similarly like that, seventy to one hundred and ten thousand people dies uh, is uh, dying from pollution from emissions. So the problem with climate change, including the damages it does, is is much bigger and it doesn't stop. So uh, if we're willing to to uh, let polluter pay, we would solve much of the problem. But you know, of course, we haven't talked about it, but one issue in Africa is, in many cases, not very good management and also corruption. And, and uh, that, is a, that is a hindrance there because uh, uh, they might be tempted to uh, uh, listen to fossil lobbying uh, uh, to go on with that. And they... Uh, take an example, for instance, from Argentina, which is almost bankrupt, and they are selling uh, diesel in the streets there that it's much cheaper than what they have to pay pay for it. So they are subsidizing diesel there, and probably uh, the reason is that they think they will not be re-elected if they are putting up the, the prices. And if you put a tax on this, then, of course, uh, you would also get money into the uh, the governments would get much needed money if they put a price on, on these things. So 
again, unfortunately, the market can be used as a fantastic tool, but without a good policy, it will not work. We can see now on Corona, policy works. So let's take that, if, if I may, we, uh, the, the last minutes we have left, I would like to, now we have talked a lot about uh, Africa. Uh, and the outside of Norway, but I think it's also worthwhile looking back at Norway. Do we does does the shift go quick enough here? We have, I mean, we have basically everything like money, technology, uh, politicians that are considered to be not corrupt, moderate, um, and uh, but still, uh, the feeling is that there is so much more to do, uh, and not on, only on obviously the discussion on Norway as one of the largest oil and gas producers in the world, but what, what are, what can we, what are the next steps? If, if you could choose like one or two things, each of you, what, what does Norway need to do um, in our own context? Yes. Uh, so I'm, I as I'm happen to be part of a commission uh, now, which is actually looking into how Norway can, can accelerate this green shift. And we're discussing, these things uh, a lot and you're certainly right if you think it's very typical now that uh, the so-called green stimulus package from the government uh, uh, from Norwegian government that was presented a week ago is about uh, the three uh, three point something a billion uh, Norwegian kroner whereas just for the tax relief for the oil companies they are now discussing up to maybe 10-15 billion Norwegian kroner and this shows how of course important still the oil the fossil sector is in the Norwegian economy um, I think uh, uh, Norway will 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 uh, move in the right direction, but it's going very slow. And but I think what is what we needed, I think, is a much uh, uh, going back polluted. So going back to the polluted phase, I mean, some kind of a very target, very clear commitment on the carbon prices, also internally in Norway, uh, so that all uh, emissions in Norway will uh, will get taxed up to a. Uh, a level so that people investors will know that uh, they will uh, get paid for the changes they make but because they know that in two three four years time the co2 price or the equivalent co2 price will be will be higher so that i think is uh, is, is, an, is an important uh, element in norway but i would i would like to just to have a quick comment on what sven says about about uh, the the subsidies because yes he is right you, you're right swain but if you look at the government, I mean, we cannot wait till we have to work with the governments in, in Nigeria and Lagos and Tanzania and Mozambique and all these countries, of course, to reduce uh, subsidies. But we cannot wait. I mean, this is the governments in these countries having to decide to do that. And in the meantime, what we can do, of course, is that we can put up uh, a premium to the companies that actually can replace those fossil fuel generated uh, plants. because. Uh, the the the, uh, the client of the people on the street in Nigeria and Lagos, they are probably not like, willing to accept overnight the full payment for the fossil fuel. But if we can help make solar power cheaper, then the, the shift will go much quicker. So I think it's important not to only focus. Subsidies is important, but we need some some carrots in uh, as well. Of course, I agree in that, Taye, but uh, Mike, and, and uh, there is a lot we can do there. I'm just worried that if we don't do a kind of system shift on, on uh, this huge subsidizing, then, then uh, this will not go fast enough. But of course, you must work on, on both things. When it comes to Norway, 
I'm a bit worried. We have a lot of money. I'm I, I'm worried about uh, uh, cutting taxes on uh, uh, for the oil companies so that they might invest in uh, in projects that might not be uh, uh, in a way profitable, uh, and they wouldn't have done it if uh, they didn't have tax. Uh, uh, deductions or uh, that uh, they wouldn't go for if, if you took away the um, uh, tax uh, deduction for uh, uh, looking for oil in the arctic they wouldn't do it because they wouldn't take the chance so what i would do is that i would um, come up with quite big money to start up investments uh, in for instance uh, windmills uh, uh, offshore and I would do the uh, carbon capture and storage and and, and, and similar uh, production uh, projects where we could use the uh, skills and knowledge that uh, the oil business have to be moved into a, a green direction and maybe I should uh, uh, say in the end that I, I go around in Norway and talk to young people all the time and uh, on schools. I think I've been to more than 100 schools and talked talk with the young people. And then when we talk to them, uh, they are of course afraid of the future. And then you cannot just tell them that, okay, if we have a big oil fund, a pension fund, you don't need to worry because you will get your pension. These young people, they would really like to see that some of those money was invested into green development that would give them a sustainable uh, future. So I'm also think, um, not exactly how to do it, I don't know, but I think we could also use part of the um, oil funds to invest in uh, these projects, for instance, that I talked about now, like offshore wind and so forth. So, so I wish you luck with your uh, with your uh, group uh, tie to <laughs> to solve these problems or come up with the innovative solutions. But I think this is also a place where we, uh, when we're talking about uh, to wrap up in a way. I, I think we, when we are talking about um, uh, the finance, it's easy to say that we we put down the strategy and then we look at the finance in the state budget annually. But uh, the, what we do see in the UK, uh, EU, the Netherlands, countries that have already said that it's not only from year to year, we need to have bring both public and private sector together. We need to establish some clear institution that can guide the way, like the, the public uh, or the Green Finance Institute in the UK, which was initiated by the private sector and the public sector at the same time. I think these are the things that will be needed in Norway as well, not only a strategy for the content of the green shift, but also how do you finance it? Uh, and while the EU is now launching their strategy on, on uh, sustainable finance, uh, the UK has done it for a long time ago, uh, and um, the Netherlands as well. So, so I think Norway is lagging behind on this, and, and I, I guess we are a bit worried about, uh, we in the UN Global Compact, Norway are a bit worried about um, the, on the, that politicians understand the, law, the importance of thinking strategic about financing as well, not only about identifying uh, which areas we should work in or what sort of uh, current uh, tools that are there in the current uh, scheme, but most likely we'll need to reshape the whole funding scheme in order to, you know, like you were saying, Sven, as well, I mean, how do we use the tax mechanism? on the green shift and not on 
promoting old industries. Uh, and what does Norway do when, if the EU says that hydrogen from, from gas is not the way forward, uh, while Norway is investing into to the so-called blue hydrogen, for example? No, but, but there is a green uh, uh, private sector and there is a brown uh, uh, private sector. And uh, they both would like to uh, develop and continue uh, their business. And uh, the brown uh, private sector has been much stronger in, uh, in uh, lobbying and uh, getting their way. It looks like now uh, that uh, they will also get their way in Norway now compared with what we will do with the green sector. And the problem with that, of course, is that uh, uh, everybody agrees that uh, this is not the future. It is uh, a sundown uh, industry. And if we put a lot of money into that in Norway, instead of in a way building up new business that we can, uh, can um, uh, yeah, that is possible to do, then we will lag behind and we will lose money uh, afterwards. And we are not delivering a sustainable society to our uh, grandchildren. So, but again, uh, there is the brown, there is the green, and we have the politicians, and the politicians uh, need to come up with, uh, they are the most responsible, actually. So, Tadio, you, you will get uh, the last uh, comment uh, as we are getting close to an end here. So, please, uh, do you have any further comments to what Svein was saying? Or? Yeah, I have one observation uh, which I think is important, is that we're talking about sustainable finance, sustainable investment and so on, but we are still, the, the people who are working as asset manager, investment manager, fund manager, they're all trained in the same logic where they're looking for financial returns. So they're looking for financial returns and then they like some so-called ESG, environmental and social things in addition. But what we need to do is to develop the financial industry, a financial um, sector, which is including the, the key uh, you know, benchmark, the key uh, parameters, uh, the peak performance ratio on the non-financial side in actually their, 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 their uh, fund management. So when you evaluate the customer, you evaluate investment, you're not only measuring uh, return expectations and risk, but you're also measuring how much uh, carbon do we save with this investment, how much uh, extra electricity access or water saving can we obtain or what does it help and these these um, you could say metrics uh, are in the process of being developed and I think they need to be further advanced and, and that goes back to also what Sven says about oil fund or your petroleum oil fund is that of course what people should know is not only the return on the financial but they should also know more about the, 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 the impact that the fund has on key sustainable goals that is the real revolution that we are facing, and it's we are very early on in that thing, uh, thinking. But I think in 20 years' time, we will ask, why did we wait so long before yeah. we impose those uh, requirements on the on the on the funds and the money we're investing? So, as the listener can hear, we should still have talked about the EU taxonomy on uh, finance. We should have talked about shareholders. Uh, there's so many, and not only stake. Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, stakeholders are not only shareholders. Uh, there's so many more things we could have talked about. Uh, I completely agree with Taddy here saying that we shouldn't talk about the future of a sustainable business, but basically talk about the future 
of business. Uh, and that's uh, also our slogan, so to speak, in the UN Global Compact. We, we are looking into Framtidens Næringsliv, the future of business, and this is also the name of this podcast. Tarjan Svein, thank you so much for uh, joining in today and for the good conversations. Thank you. Thank you.